0: Hi, I'm Paul Jay. Welcome to theanalysis.news. Please don't forget the donate button at the top of the webpage. Thomas Frank wrote in a recent essay published in Le Monde Diplomatique This essay is not a brief for free speech absolutism. Or an effort to rationalize conspiracy theory or an attack on higher learning. It's about the future of the Democratic Party, the future of the Left. And Here is the suggestion I mean to make. The form of liberalism I have described here is inherently despicable. A democratic society is naturally going to gag when it's told again and again in countless ways both the subtle and gross that our great national problem is our failure to heed the authority of traditional elites. Thomas ends the essay with this. The mob attack on the Capitol frightened us all, but for Democrats to choose censorship via the monopolists of Silicon Valley as the solution to the problem is a shocking breach of faith. There are many words one might describe a party that, over the last 30 years, has shown itself contentious of working-class grievances while protective of the authority of the respected. But liberal isn't one of them. That was Thomas's piece in Le Monde Diplomatique. This is interesting timing to discuss these issues. YouTube just took down an editorial I was about to publish that called for Trump to be charged with sedition and treason. It also called for an investigation of Mitch McConnell's role in the events of January 26th. In the piece, I ran footage of Trump's speech meant to incite the crowd on January 6th. I ran this footage to show what Trump's role was that day. That seemed to be enough for YouTube's algorithm to delete the story. Of course, I appealed. But what the hell business is it of YouTube to use an algorithm to censor me? That is, assuming it is a mistaken algorithm... I got a message saying they were taking down the videos that stated the elections were won by widespread fraud, which, of course, my piece didn't say at all. Perhaps YouTube didn't like my focus on the coup that Trump and Flynn tried to organize. More likely, automatic censorship. But one day, perhaps, there'll be other keywords that trigger a takedown. I've still no answer to my appeal to YouTube. Perhaps they have an algorithm that hears the appeals. Now joining us is Thomas Frank. He's a political analyst, historian, and journalist. He co-founded and edited The Baffler magazine and has written several books, most notably, What's the Matter with Kansas in 2004, Listen Liberal in 2016. His most recent book is The People Know, a brief history of anti-populism, and you'll be able to find an interview I did with Thomas about his book if you look around the analysis.
1: Uh, Thanks for joining us, Thomas. Paul, it's my pleasure as always. I like that quote that you gave its famous last words you know it's the la- it's literally the last words of the story and in some ways it's my uh, epitaph as a you know political writer I'm oh, sorry I, I'm I'm I le- in a morbid I'm in a very morbid mood these days for well, reasons well, how that, can
0: one not, how can one not be but
1: elaborate it's just I've been I've been spending a lot of time thinking about and going over the uh, transformation of Liberalism in the U.S. since the rise of Trump, and and you know going back and looking at the Obama days and stuff like that, and how uh, how we've uh, you know how we've lost sight of so many of the things that we used to care about. Now, I don't want to be too negative about all this because so far, uh, uh, you know, Joe Biden, who I had you and I talked about him, I've had I had real doubts about Joe Biden. But I really like what he did. (laughs) I really like what he's proposed, you know, the gigantic uh, spending package. I'm very much in favor of that. And I think it's interesting that he has learned. He learned from the lessons of um, of 2009, you know, from Obama's failures, which the larger sort of American liberal movement still won't even acknowledge were failures. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot to be happy about with Biden. But uh, you, looking at the movement as a whole, no, there's, it's, it's, it's kind of scary what's happening to us.
0: Well, talk a little bit about your focus on the monopolists of Silicon Valley. And this kind of censorship is really remarkable. Uh, I mean, it's not like people that think that there's widespread fraud in the, uh, created the election result can't find this somewhere else. Uh, and the fact
1: that if they can censor that, they can censor anything. Yeah, I look. I don't think I'm not one of those people. I don't. I don't happen to think that there was widespread fraud. I don't have I, none of the evidence that anybody's presented is in any way persuasive to me. But I just want to point out to you here for a second, Paul Jay, that there it, it, people cry election fraud every four years. They always do this. If we're, I mean, Democrats did it. After 2016, remember that's the point of RussiaGate, was that the that the Russians somehow interfered in the election and made it you know it's illegitimate etc. They did it in 2004. Uh, I remember that one. There was a you know all these stories about the, uh, casting doubt on the Ohio like they they do they do this both sides do this all the time. I have never been the kind of person that buys into election fraud theories, but I just want to point out that that criminalizing talk about it which is basically what we're talking about here not criminalizing but uh, censoring talk about it is a, uh, that is a uh, step into the unknown that, uh, that strikes me as, as, as dangerous stuff. I
0: also think YouTube is doing something else uh,
1: within about
0: a last month or so our YouTube numbers started to really grow You know, I just started this analysis thing less than a year ago. We didn't get serious about even putting stuff on YouTube until maybe six months ago. Uh, You know, for a long time, we were actually feeding from Vimeo, and I wasn't even bothering with YouTube because it's so hard to start getting traction there. Uh, But we did, and then we started getting some serious traction. Our videos were doing in the tens of thousands. And then all of a sudden, they're not doing tens of thousands. And I'm quite sure that, I can't prove it, but I think the algorithm that can tri- that can find because I use some footage of Trump and delete something, they can also use algorithms to control how much something gets promoted, uh, what kind of how, how many views it winds up getting. And they can do that based on the same uh, you know looking for content that for one reason or another, they don't want to do well.
1: Not only that, but have you, I mean, I can't wait to see how this particular conversation goes over because I'm sure we're crossing all sorts of red lines. Now, Paul, what if I start talking about historical election fraud? So I'm, as you know, I'm from Kansas City, Kansas City up until the night. through the 1930s, had the most corrupt political machine in America. It was famous for this. This guy's name was Boss Tom Pendergast. Wow, more than Chicago? (laughs) uh, At the time, yes. Chicago later became, you know, daily and all that became uh, notorious. But Kansas City was was famous for this. Harry Truman was one of Pendergast's uh, protégés. But uh, Pendergast would... uh, uh, famously, in the late 30s, boasted to a national uh, magazine about the methods that he used to run up these incredible scores. You know, like, 99% majority for the Democratic candidate. How do you do that, Tom Pendergast? And he told them, you know, and, and, he, and he described all the different methods. He was real upfront about it. That's, that's well, how what? Kansas City used to be. So, uh you well, know. if we
0: if we talk about that, and maybe we talk about how the the, the stealing of the election in in Chicago for Kennedy. Yeah. So if we yeah. talk about election fraud in Chicago, which is widely acknowledged now that that uh, the senior mayor Mayor Daley helped Kennedy steal the election in Illinois, uh, is this going to get now taken down by YouTube as well?
1: <laughs> so the, the the stuff in Kansas City was also is is, is a matter of journalistic record. Like I said, Pendergast admitted to it. Uh, He was proud of it. Uh, They talked about it all the time. There's all of these accounts of it. He went to prison (laughs) later on for this stuff. You know, so it's not it's not like it was it's a secret or anything. Um, And the methods they used are actually I mean, it's well, we don't want to go down this rabbit hole because it's it's actually fascinating because he contrived, you know, Missouri is a big state. Uh, and he he only controlled one city in Missouri but he was able to use that and get his people elected governor get his people elected senator win statewide races he was very clever the way they did this so the well we don't want to talk about this seriously okay, we could go well, on and on, an, and, on an, and on another another time well <laughs> yeah. let's
0: let's talk a little bit more about Kansas cuz in your article uh, you write about Johnson County, yeah, and how it, it, it's become. Uh, Biden actually won Johnson County this time, and I saw in the in the last election, uh, while the Republicans won Johnson County, it was a much was narrow close. margin, yeah. yeah, much closer. And and you describe Johnson County as you know for forever being a wealthy Republican uh, county. So what's what well forever? On there? It's what's this going? is a
1: place that's only had a large population since World War II. So Johnson County is, Kansas City proper is in Missouri for the most part. Uh, Johnson County is in Kansas. It's a, a sort of white flight suburb that uh, exploded in population after World War II, um, it had very famously had I think the the largest contiguous suburb in the world at one time. It's where I grew up actually and they, you know they built these gigantic kind of um, you know spreading out over the prairie all of these suburbs and uh, today it's you know it's a huge part of the Kansas City metro area but it's always been Republican i looked this up the last time it went for a democrat was in 1916 for woodrow wilson and it was a rural rural county at the time a farmer county but it, it's always been republican ever since And i grew up there in the 60s and 70s and 80s and it was one of the most republican i mean if not the most republican place in america you know intensely deeply republican voted for uh you know, voted for whoever ran against Franklin Roosevelt. Voted for Barry Goldwater over Lyndon Johnson. You know, voted for Richard Nixon over John F. Kennedy. Uh, on and on and on like this, and uh, uh, Republicans dominated the place. The governor of Kansas lived there. Uh, several governors of Kansas lived there. Anyhow, the the, the kind of they were their ruling class Republicans. This was also. It's not just a Republican place. It's the. Um, it's by far the richest county in the state of Kansas. It's the richest part of the Kansas City metro area. The, the little neighborhood that I lived in was uh, uh, it's extremely wealthy. Uh, my family were not wealthy, but this is the kids that I grew up amongst, and they were, the, they were the ruling class of Kansas City, and they were the ruling class of the state of Kansas. That's who they were and they were republicans by definition. That's what ruling classes were. And it's uh so for me the connection between money, power and the Republican Party was always obvious. This was second nature. This is something you didn't even need to nail down. Well, this is uh these were what are now called moderate Republicans. These are Bob Dole style Republicans, you know, Dwight D Eisenhower style Republicans. And um That kind of Republican, the sort of ruling class, highly educated, affluent, white collar Republican, these people have been switching to the Democratic Party as fast as their legs will carry them. And you saw this uh, in 2006. It's been trending this way for a long time. But uh, Johnson County, Kansas, this is the last, you know, this is the last straw, at least for me. I mean, this is the place I grew up, right? This is uh, this is not some distant thing that you read about in a news magazine. This is this is for real. This is the people that I know, and they went for Biden. So, for the first time since two, since 1916, over a hundred years, uh, it went uh, went Democratic, uh, and that is um, like what I happened, say. What happened? What happened? Did they vote for Obama? No, no, they haven't voted for. I mean, there's people there who voted for Obama, but it, it, they haven't. Uh, they haven't voted for a Democrat since 1916. So no, Obama did not win Johnson County. Well, the, the, so and much can, of America. The, the New York sorry, Times, by the way, has a um, sort of granular level like neighborhood level election data. They just put it up on their website. And So, of course, I had to spend hours looking at it block by block through Johnson County. And, and the, just the transition in the last four years uh, is it's extraordinary. I mean, they've been converted as, you know, as a whole to uh, Bidenism, if you want to call it that, you know, away from Trump.
0: Well, to a large extent in American politics, uh, right across the country, uh, what party you support, what party you support is part of your identity. It's, you know, it's almost like what's what football team you're, you're for. Um, switching yeah. from Republicans to Democrat is a shift in identity. Uh, what, what
1: caused that? This is a, look, Paul, this is, this is, in my opinion, the big subject of, of the day. And unfortunately, we aren't really able to talk about it, haven't really uh, talked about it all that much in America because our attention has been filled by other things. The, the you know, the, these guys ransacking the Capitol on January the 6th, Trump's ridiculous claims of election fraud, all of this nonsense that's been going on. We haven't really sat down and gone through this, but when you do go through it, what you, what, people are emailing me. Do you hear this in the background? It's absolutely maddening. They know I'm they know I'm on with you and so they won't leave me alone. But there's there's a larger shift that's going on in American life that we really haven't got our heads around. And that is that the sort of ruling elite of America are changing sides. Uh, The ruling elite themselves haven't changed. Those people in Johnson County that I grew up among, they're still the ruling class of the city. You know, they own the place. They're still the ruling class of the state of Kansas. Uh, But they are now, they identify as Democrats, not as Republicans anymore. And you go across the board and this is, look, Paul, when I was growing up, and you know this is true, Republicans routinely outraised and outspent Democrats in the elections. That was the nature of our two-party system, going back to Franklin Roosevelt, going back further. I mean, Roosevelt was outspent in, in those elections in the 30s. What ten to one? You know, I mean, these insane uh, amounts, uh, and th- and it's always been that way. Well, not anymore. Uh, uh, Biden outraised. Well, Hillary too. Both Hillary and Biden outraised and outspent uh, the Republican nominee, Donald Trump. Uh, they uh, there in both cases in twenty sixteen and in twenty twenty there was a extraordinary coming together of the elites of America behind the Democratic candidate. Uh, and you can you know you can talk about which elite groups those are, but it's it's pretty obvious it's the uh you know wherever uh, an elite group can trace its power or attribute its power to credentialed expertise, you know white collar elites they're with the Democrats uh Trump still had some uh, elite groups with him, things a bit like big oil, uh, coal um, casinos uh, real estate to some degree. Uh, your, your sort of classic uh you know sort of classic elements of the business community, but by and large i mean the the uh, the sort of white collar elite has moved over to the democratic party and i would I would also say in this kind of uh, i call it in in my story for Le Monde diplomatique, I call it a coalition of the aghast you know because that 's <laughs> always what we are with trump it 's like oh my god i can 't believe what he 's done now and uh but uh, you know it 's hollywood it 's silicon valley it 's Wall Street. Uh, it's the newspapers of course it 's journalism um it's it's you know uh, 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 big pharma it 's the medical industry uh, it, what what 's really crazy about it though is that this this sort of coalition of of uh elites uh who now identify with the democratic party that this this includes the c i a that's the that 's the little detail of all of the of the trump years It just blows my mind anyhow. This is a, an aspect of the Trump years uh, that we haven't really come to terms with in America. And it's, I think, one of the most shocking things about it is that since the election, you, you've seen um, uh, business, by and large, abandon the sinking ship that is the Republican Party. Uh, I mean, you saw all these Wall Street banks say that they're not going to. And there were Trump's uh, Biden outraised Trump pretty seriously on Wall Street. But Trump was no slouch. On Wall Street, he still had a lot of, of of Wall Street billionaires on his side. You know, there's that, that's sort of where the battle is fought these days, but not anymore. I mean, since since the January sixth, uh, you know, can I call it bullshit? Am I allowed to say that? All the craziness that the, the you can
0: you can only you
1: can only say it once. You're not allowed to repeat it. Okay. <laughs> Since the attack on the Capitol, uh, all of these business interests have just abandoned the Republican Party. And it is is amazing to see this happening. It is a realignment of elites in this country. I don't know if it's going to stick. You know, now that Trump is out of the picture, uh, maybe everything will go back to normal for the Republican Party. But I kind of doubt it, Paul, because we've been moving in this direction for such a long time. Yeah,
0: I think there's maybe two things going on here more than two, but two I would point to, a, a very significant shift in thinking on behalf of the financial sector, and thus the corporate elites, on the issue of deficits. Uh, they've really understood that this pandemic moment and the possibility of a 1930s-style depression, or worse is what has been predicted, mm. that there's simply no longer fear of inflation within any, yeah. anyone's sight. So you can just create money and throw it at the problem. And in Wait, fact, Larry, you, I,
1: Larry Summers thinks it's a, <laughs> thinks it's a danger. <laughs> well, he's, he's like a real outlier, and I, I don't do. know why all isn't of a sudden that, Summers is. Isn't that crazy? Even, the, the world yeah. is changing so fast that the Democrats aren't listening to Larry Summers anymore. It's extraordinary. Man, hopes?
0: Yeah, and and I, I listen to Bloomberg Radio, and I, I was I'm listening to people from hedge funds and stuff saying they think 1.9 trillion is too small. <laughs> there, there's some people there that said you know you really need something closer to four, but there may be another two coming because uh, Biden says you know this infrastructure yeah. that's right. green to, plants exactly. going to be another two. Yeah, so it looks like it could be about four. Wouldn't
1: that be that's so? Look, I'm I'm still. Uh, uh, this this pleases me everything you're saying right now makes me makes me very happy i, I i'd love to see stuff like this um you now, know i think where the problem's going to come is
0: somewhere down the road when the economy starts to come back then the voices of the austerity hawks are going to come more to the fore and and the reason isn't cuz they're really going to still be so worried about inflation cuz i think that's who knows if, you know, where when and where or if that ever comes back but I think what the Republicans and and including the business sector are concerned about, but at the moment less concerned, is workers get used to getting checks in the mail from the government. Yeah, especially if those checks are are more than the seven twenty five an hour they've been making. <laughs>
1: uh, and, you know, yeah. it's,
0: it's the issue of disciplining the work. Working there you class go. So that's that's, that's
1: that's right. Now that has not really it hasn't really sunk in yet. Uh, but that's of course always in the back of these people's minds. Um, you know, look, you've got a unionization effort at a, at a big Amazon warehouse uh, down in Alabama. That is extraordinary. Uh, and, you know, there's there is so much anger out there uh, among, you know, uh, working class and small business people. Uh, you could easily see this go to the next stage and then, well, who knows? Who the hell knows, Paul? Then we're talking about a completely different scenario. Well, they've let the genie out of the bottle.
0: Uh, These guys wrote, these guys meaning the banks, I've been quoting this in one of my pieces, but uh, Larry Fink from BlackRock, who's a Democrat, was even talked about a a possible Secretary of the Treasury. He said that as much as they don't love a lot of things about Trump, his quote was, Trump ticked off everything we had on our bucket list.
1: Yes, that's you right. Know,
0: all the deregulation, all the tax cuts. All the judges. So these guys, he got all
1: the judges yeah. confirmed. So yeah. they,
0: they, they rode the gravy train of this megalomaniac. They nurtured his megalomania. But then eventually he outlived his usefulness because he just got too damn crazy when he wouldn't transfer power. You,
1: you might say the same thing about the Republican Party generally. Uh, you know that's like you. you look at all the, even all the crap that the Republicans have done. To, you remember my book, What's the Matter with Kansas? I mean, all of the crap that they have done and said to win elections, and uh, and then what they what they deliver is is what these Wall Street guys want. And over the over the decades, they've done the most incredible favors for these people, uh, and and then they go out and win elections on entirely different grounds. I'm going to change the subject on you very slightly. I was reading a biography of George Bush Senior. Recently Do you remember this guy? I was in college when he, uh, when he was running in '88. Oh no, I was right. It was a year after I graduated from college. And I, I just I disliked this guy so much because of the campaign of 1988. Do you remember this? It was all about culture war stuff. There was like no discussion of what Reagan had done. I mean, Dukakis was this terrible. Namby-pamby Democratic candidate wouldn't call himself a liberal. Do you remember this? They called call it the L word. He wouldn't utter the word liberal, and Bush beat him by talking about flag burning, the Pledge of Allegiance, and above all, this like idea that he was letting you know this sort sort of racist meme about letting black people out of prison to do c- commit crimes. Do you remember this? The Willie Horton TV commercials. Oh my God! It was like the worst election ever and george bush traveled around america in a bus eating pork rinds and like hanging around with country and western singers and <laughs> touring flag factories <laughs> and that's how that's how that election unfolded it was just the absolute worst but then yeah wall street gets what they want they get what they want
0: so in, in johnson county you've got this more educated group of republicans now switching to democrats in your article you even talk about you can find black lives matter signs on people's lawns all over the place
1: yeah in the in the wealthiest part so this little enclave where i grew up uh that's where you see this stuff that i described and i went back and looked i mean the wealthiest these are some of the wealthiest people in america and i went and looked and and, and biden biden overwhelmingly one Kansas he won, City, and this is a well, suburb of yeah, Kansas City, City, Missouri. Yeah, this is a suburb. He won every single precinct in this in this uh, this neighborhood that I'm talking about. I went back and looked at the data. He won every single precinct. Uh, it's it, this shift is extraordinary. I mean, I know it's gradual and it's been a long time coming. I know that, but it's uh, it's still we're here. You know, it's finally arrived. Uh, and it well, talk it, talk about some of the counties in Kansas. Well, the port port counties are
0: still with Trump. <laughs> but hang, but hang on if i'm looking at the history of a few of these counties that were trump won by 80 90 percent yeah they've been except for like one of i think that's this one county i was looking at is it called chattaqua something
1: like that should i don't know should uh, it, it's been a while since i uh since i uh, that
0: well they won. they won they voted democrat uh, once in 1932 Never voted for FDR again. the The medium income is twenty eight thousand dollars. Yeah, I mean it's a really poor rural
1: area. These are
0: people what, who. What, whose what, lives what are have they? Really, ble- what? Is, yeah. What is their
1: belief system? Have really gone down, they- the, down the drain. So a, a lot of these places are, uh, and this, by the way, takes us back to uh, my current project about populism. These, are, the Kansas is is the place that gave us gave the world. Populism—the word populism and the, and the political movement—and it was a left-wing, polit- a left-wing farmer movement that largely came from Kansas. Kansas is where it became prominent, and at the time, this is in the 1890s. Kansas was uh, caricatured as a radical place—you know, this place where everybody was crazy left-wingers—and there, you know, that um, Great Plains um, radical tradition. Uh, survived up until fairly recently. You still would see pieces like bits of it uh, in places like North Dakota uh Minnesota up until very recently. But yeah, in Kansas, it it was uh, it disappeared after about the nineteen thirties. But uh, the, the, it's fascinating that these people keep moving right as their lives as their local economies are destroyed. Farmers, as you know, Paul, are sort of uniquely in the grip of monopoly. You know, Big Ag. Uh, in a way that's difficult for people who don't live in a place like Kansas, difficult for us to understand. And the funny thing is, these farmers know that. It's not like they don't understand that. But the uh, Democratic Party has real trouble reaching out to them uh, and winning their votes. Um, I mean, it's 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 a complicated story. But these are people who, when you talk to them, are capable of saying things and believing things that are really quite radical, quite left-wing. Uh, but when the you know when the national election comes along, yeah, it. Uh, what is it
0: like for example? Oh,
1: you talk about monopolies with them. Yeah, hell yeah, they want those. They want those things broken up. Uh, you know, they want their power, the power of the big corporate concerns, taken away, and they of course they love. Um, Farm program, federal farm programs, you know, this keeps them from the uh, this is this is the only in some in some places, the only thing standing between them and, you know, destruction. An example of what I'm saying, Uh, not from Kansas, but from Iowa, which is very similar. Uh, So in although Iowa is still capable of going Democratic from time to time. But uh, in 2008, Barack Obama running for president uh, in the primaries. Do you remember? And he was a uh, he was. Nobody thought he was going to win at first. It was supposed to be Hillary's uh, year, 2008, and Obama comes out of nowhere. He's a you know he's a politician. He's a senator from Illinois, comes out of nowhere and wins the Iowa caucuses. Uh, you know, big upset and the rest is history as they say well how did he do that one of the ways he did it is obama uh, you know had been in the illinois state legislature for many years and he understood farm issues and he understood that one thing that really makes farmers mad is big ag agricultural monopolies and every farmer faces these i mean they control your life if if you you know if that's if that's what you do if you're a farmer they control every aspect of how you you know of your economic life of your you know life as a as a, a you know as an as a, as a, as a farmer, and Obama went around in Iowa and promised to break up these monopolies, and uh, the farmers loved that, and that's how he beat Hillary. Now then he becomes president, Paul, and here's the lesson: ask yourself, what did he do about it? <laughs> well, nothing, <laughs> nothing. And, and, you know, uh, eight years later, these counties that Obama won in that gave him the uh, Iowa caucuses, these all go for Trump. You know, and that's that's the disaster. And it is a recurring theme in that part of the Midwest.
0: I was reading uh, again quickly about some of the history of these counties on the border of Missouri and Kansas. And during the Civil War, there was one black regiment fighting a confederate. A guerrilla army and it was a big battle that took place and then a few years later there's a slaughter of uh, I think some former confederate soldiers went into
1: a black area and slaughtered a a bunch of blacks how much is is this this sort of in the civil war before this so we hit kansas famously had the civil war before the rest of america it was called, you know, it was called Bleeding Kansas. I'm going to show you something. So that's the picture that hangs, it's on a wall in the Kansas State Capitol, and it shows John Brown, um, sort of, you know, he's he's got a Bible in one hand and a rifle in the other. His hands are red with blood, and you know, he, Kansas is where he operated. That's where he he. Uh, he killed all these uh, uh, Missouri slaveholders because was, there was a border war between the two over whether Kansas was going to be a free state or a slave state. And that's basically that's the founding of the state is guys like John Brown and other abolitionists that moved out there deliberately to fight uh, slavery. This is, like I say, five years before the Civil War to block the advance of slavery to the West by force of arms. And uh, that's, that's, how, that's where the state began. And so, yeah, they fought, um, they fought uh, uh, pretty viciously <laughs> with the slave owners from Missouri. And the, in the Civil War, there was this one, uh, I don't know if this is the incident you're describing, uh, there was a, one of the worst Confederate, well, he was a terrorist, his name was Quan Trill. Uh, came over from Missouri and burned Lawrence, Kansas, and shot and killed every everybody they could get their hands on. It was the worst. I, I think that is the one. It's I think the, the, worst the worst civilian one. massacre in the Civil War, and it was because Lawrence was uh, Lawrence, Kansas was the the big abolitionist center uh, at the time. And they the, and then the Kansans came over and they got Missouri back. Uh, I mean, this is all you know. It's just incredibly bloody and awful what they did to each other. But yeah, it went on and on and on. Well,
0: in terms of some of these areas that have been voting Republican forever and and are very pro Trump, eighty, ninety percent, how much is this the sort of uh cultural passing on of this kind of race war?
1: Well the, the the thing is that these were places that were on the other they were on the they were on the, were on the good team <laughs> back in those days. What, were it, they these it, these, it, uh, these, uh, these states that yeah, voted we were... Republican forever? Well, the Republicans were the good guys in that war back then. Yeah, yeah. right back in Lincoln. Well, I'm that's talking. actually one of the interesting things about Kansas is that it's remained low. so. You have other states where they the flip has been a partisan flip, like West Virginia, which since uh, the early '90s has gone to the Republican Party. West Virginia used to be profoundly Democratic, pro-union, you know, the United Mine Workers, all that sort of thing, all those you know strikes and stuff in the in the '20s and '30s. But Kansas has been Republican all along, but it's a different kind of Republican now than back then. You know, they've they've gone way, way, way to the right. Well, all of these places have, Paul. This is the you know, this is the this is the frustrating, fascinating story of our time. And uh, I'll tell you the truth. I'm sick of talking about it. I mean, this is I wrote about this (laughs) 20 years ago now. And the reaction at the time was that this was um, uh, that this was it was not right to attack uh, conservatism in the way that I did. That this was that this was you know not not permissible. To say the sort of things I did, and everybody says this stuff now. You know, you can call Trump any name you want, and and liberals will celebrate you for doing that. Well, you know, when I did this back in 2004, it was regarded as extremely controversial, and then there was a big a backlash against the book by people who said that this wasn't happening, that the that, so my idea was that the white working class was moving to the Republican Party or moving to conservatism is the way to the way to put it, from the sort of moderate Republicanism to the, you, you see what I'm saying, big movement to the yeah. right among. But but I, but I think it's important to say the
0: white rural working class, because I'm not so a lot sure of this was in, Wichita. in big
1: cities. No, a lot of this was in cities uh, or, or in the suburbs anyway. So in a place like Wichita, I spent a lot of time in Wichita when I was writing this. And I would also say in some of the suburbs in Johnson County, uh, that you know, like uh, uh, I mean, your, your viewers don't need to know, but Olathe and Shawnee, the more uh, blue-collar suburbs, were the ones that were uh, supporting this shift to the right, and it happened in the Kansas Republican. It happened everywhere, and but, but, uh, in,
0: but they, but a lot of them did vote for Biden. I mean, Kansas City must be majority working class, and it oh, of course, what well, you're talking about, Biden.
1: yeah, yeah, KCMO, yeah, hell yeah, yes. Um, yeah, this this so temp, I, I this, this, this urban-rural split. Up until now, this has been up until now this has been a phenomenon mainly of white working class people. I mean, that's that's you know that's who we're talking about here. The, no, uh, but
0: even within the white working class, isn't there a, a significant difference between the, the urban white working class and the rural white working
1: class? Yes, but I don't know if that's the difference. I would say the organized and the and the non. I mean, union members have by and large remain loyal to the Democratic Party uh in a way that you know no, non union members have. you're look you're you're right but it's uh uh I just think it's a bigger story than that I mean rural is farmers farmers are a you know they're not even a majority in Kansas they're not a majority anywhere they <laughs> you know people aren't you're talking about small town people things like that yes that is that is a big part of the story yeah
0: yeah. But, because I think one of the critiques I you know I would make and I think you're making too of the of the liberal class, the Democratic Party, corporate Dems leadership is they've just ignored rural life. Like like I was I have an interview I'm coming out in a couple of days with Henry Giraud and we were talking about this. You know the compl- deterioration of the educational system in rural America. Yep. You know the lack of just basic knowledge because the schools are just so terrible, mm-hmm. uh, and and you know Obama had this thing where all he did was push testing, but they did nothing about actually. I know giving and giving people a and, and, better education.
1: Obama is the classic example of this because he actually did, like I said, that famous story from Iowa in 2008, where he, in some ways, he owes he owes his pres- he owed his presidency to rural voters uh, in Iowa who rescued him. Uh, and it was, and then, and then he did, he did nothing. Uh, but if that doesn't show you that there is uh, potential to win these people, and if you go further north in the Great Plains, you still find rural areas that that were Democratic until very recently. Look at the map of Minnesota sometime. Now, look, all these areas have flipped to Trump, or just about all of them. But I mean, even places that were like, um, you go back and look at the counties that the Socialists won in the year 1912. Um, They won a county in Kansas, by the way. This is Eugene Debs. He was popular in Kansas. (laughs) He lived there for a while. He was a populist, and uh, but all of these places have gone uh, way to the right. You know this, and uh, 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 and and a really depressing one, and a disastrous one. And the Democrats have, by and large, been extremely complacent about this. They have taken very few steps. I mean. No steps to do anything about this because they think they've got uh, a plan that can't fail, which is you know the demographic change. The uh, groups that are growing in American life tend to vote Democratic, and so they don't think that it, they don't think it really matters. They think they can, they don't need to do anything about it. Uh, unfortunately, what I'm describing is is um it's just pure complacency uh, by the Democratic Party. You know, because they think that demographics are going to deliver everything to them, and they don't have to do anything differently. And they can win without seventy-four million voters. Yeah. By the way, that's isn't that a fascinating thing that Trump did so well? With I mean, that Trump he did much better than anybody thought he was going to do. Um, uh, you know, the, everybody was predicting a Trump wipeout. Well, because he's this massively discredited president who did a terrible job. I mean, his response to COVID is nothing short of catastrophic, you know, dreadful president. Uh, But he wasn't repudiated in the way that other presidents have been. That was, sorry, got to hold still. That was shocking to me. That was startling to me.
0: The uh, some of the Democrats I've talked to, corporate Democrat types, you know, they they, kind of just write off this 20, 25% of the Trump vote. That's right-wing evangelical. Oh, they're evangelicals, but there used to be Christian socialists. Just because someone's Christian doesn't make them right-wing. Well,
1: we're 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 dancing around this point here, which is that uh, liberalism. Once upon a time, all of these different groups were part of the liberal coalition, and the uh, liberalism has lost these people over the years. You know, I've been reading a lot of. stuff about the 1930s and about Franklin Roosevelt. And Franklin Roosevelt was immensely popular among the people that we're describing. Uh, you know, Franklin Roosevelt is the first one that gave us uh, a legitimate farm bill. You know, the, uh, he, he basically took these old populist proposals and made it into the modern day farm program. Well, that's Roosevelt did that. That was a Democrat that did that. And these people loved Franklin Roosevelt. And uh, you know, enormously, you look at a state like Missouri, was uh, uh, so democratic. Now, the, in this case, they're de- being democratic goes back to the Civil War. You know, this was a, a, a state that 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 wasn't part of the Confederacy, but was a slave. Slavery was legal in Missouri. And uh, but along the way, they became the good kind of Democrats, and when I was a kid, these Missouri voted for you know, liberals and Democrats all the time. Harry Truman was from Missouri. Um, we talked about Pendergast at the start of the show. Maybe I should shut my mouth right now before I dig myself into a hole. But just look at the maps of Missouri now. They don't win anything outside of the big cities in the college town, you know. They're just, you know, wiped out as a party in a state that was that was once that they absolutely dominated. And there's many, 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 many examples of this all over the map. But these are these are all people who um, used to vote Democratic or their parents voted Democratic or people in their situation voted Democratic. And the Democratic Party has lost these voters. And this is, uh, uh, you know, it's being brushed under the rug again because the Democrats just won. Biden won. Uh, we don't have to worry about it, but I'm here to tell you this problem is not going away. Uh, Trump might disappear, but but uh, the problem itself, the larger problem, will not disappear. Well, the the
0: appointment of the Secretary of Agriculture did not encourage <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, people that were looking for some kind of change. Uh, what's his no, name, Vilsack? Bill Sack, and, uh, yeah, and he's a friend who, of, who's... He tends
1: to be a friend of Big Ag, you know, of you know the these, these the very companies that I've been talking about. So. Because at this time when there's actually a lot of support for a
0: big infrastructure plan mm-hmm. and and some real money going into the economy, I mean now would be the time to really throw money into these areas that oh are hell traditionally yes. absolutely
1: yeah. yes, but that requires a certain kind of uh of innovative thinking that that I haven't seen from the Democratic Party in a long time although hey look i i don't want to be too i don't want to be too negative i mean uh Biden is a uh, you know maybe Biden is look at this I'm focusing maybe Biden is the man to fix everything you know I don't want to be too <laughs> negative but seriously I mean there you know he's not Bernie Sanders or anything he's not even Elizabeth Warren but he is um yeah, I don't know. I I don't want to be too optimistic about him either. So I'm just going to shut up about that right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. I'm not. I want to give him I'm not a chance. Not so optimistic. I want to. I want to give him a chance. Uh, you know. Yeah, I
0: mean, I would go step by step and judge based on actual policy. I mean, but but I I think because this unique moment that I said earlier, where the finance and corporate sector is pro deficit spending, and don't care. It's right quite now incredible about how that's. Because of that moment, some real some decent policy might come out uh, and we'll see like how all long sorts of that things lasts. are possible. yes uh, I mean on the foreign policy side it's it's there's a couple of the Yemen things good, I think, but a lot of the people he's appointed are real old guard and interventionist and the the rhetoric about China and Russia is all ramping up uh, yeah. So I, well I,
1: you 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 in Canada you can worry about that. We don't care about that here in America, <laughs> foreign policy stuff. I mean, yeah, you know, I do, but your average American doesn't man. give a damn about that. That's strictly Canadians. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yes. I just I'm teasing you. I'm teasing you.
0: Well, I I I, I I'll, I'll put on my Canadian hat and get <laughs> I, I, it's a great there's a the great line in Lorax where they offer they off the guy offers lorax a bribe of some sweet cookies or cakes and he eats it he says i'll eat them but i'm highly offended <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's kind of the liberal elites isn't it yeah yes yeah uh, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly yeah. yeah so anyhow we're in in this this crazy time in america and we started off the show talking about your your like incident of being censored uh, by youtube which is, Yeah, let me just it, say
0: that I'm going to release the editorial again. I, I hadn't actually made it public; it was still non-listed because I was just wanted to look at it. I'm doing some rewriting of it, uh, and I'm going to release it again. I'm still going to have Trump quotes in it, and if it does get deleted again, I'm going to feed it from something else, and then I'm going to do a, a video on YouTube anyway, talking about. Uh, YouTube censorship, and then I want to see if my video about YouTube censorship gets taken. Yeah, yeah, or... of
1: course that'll get hell. Yeah, that you can't talk about censorship censored, censored. That anyhow, we're finally discovering the uh, the price of allowing all these Silicon Valley monopolies to take over our conversation. You know this this whole period of COVID, where it's like all of our conversations now have to have this stupid intermediary sitting out there in California. Uh, selling it. So I remember a book that I read long ago by a um, a great author called Earl Shores, and it was about he was describing the rise of the advertising industry, and he said that the, the genius of TV was that it put uh, advertising between us and life. In uh, you know he's talking about the 1950s and the 1960s there, and that's the genius of Silicon Valley is that it's like they've they've captured personal communication, you know, that's, that's what social media is, and they own it. And here in in COVID time, that's, you know, that's what we have. And it's, uh, and now you've got these um, liberals, uh, Democrats, uh, constantly calling on Silicon Valley to censor people's uh, communication with each, with each other, to crack down on them in this way and that. The New York Times does this all the time, which is ironic, because they're a newspaper and they're supposed to defend the First Amendment and everything. Uh, but uh, uh, that's, that's you know, that's where we are in America today. The, these companies have this incredible power. And instead of uh, taking that power away from them, which is the obvious thing to do. We sit around and fantasize about how we can coerce them or persuade them into using the power to like damage our our political enemies, which is it, it Paul, it is so dangerous. It is so it, it is so foolish uh to think that I mean liberals thinking that they can like that they have the upper hand in some kind of censorship battle. It's like it's like my friends you have not read history (laughs) if you think that you're going to win the censorship battle. It just doesn't work that way. When you say take the power away from them, what does that mean? From Silicon Valley? I mean, I mean, break them up. I mean, these are monopolies. These are these, we have laws against this stuff. We haven't enforced those laws since the 1980s, but the laws are on the books. This is one of my huge critiques of the Obama administration is that they, you know, Uh, They didn't do the Silicon Valley uh, uh, social media monopolies are coming together while Obama was president. And he didn't do anything about it. In fact, he did, you know, Google, et cetera, et cetera, Twitter, Facebook. He did the opposite. He identified with them. Right. He brought all these Google executives into the White House. He uh, did all these events with Mark Zuckerberg. You Remember, because Zuck was cool. Do you remember all this? And um, he yeah, he did. He did the opposite of what he should have done. In fact, uh, Hillary Clinton, as Secretary of State, they had this doctrine. We'll get back to foreign affairs here. They had this doctrine. They called it Internet freedom. And we were going to force Internet freedom on everyone, every country in the world. This was going to be a big element of our foreign policy. Don't you, all of these these crazy things since the Cold War ended, Paul, these ways that we have of rationalizing American power around the world. I mean, you could write a whole book about that, but of course you wouldn't be allowed to talk about it on social media, that would be immediately censored. But internet freedom was, the, uh, was one of the big ones. The idea being that, uh, that countries had to allow Silicon Valley companies to do business within their borders. That was, that's what internet freedom meant. Everybody in the world has to have access to Facebook. That was U.S. foreign policy. That was our government <laughs> was doing that. And, and now these people are, you know, are censoring you censoring and literally they, you paul J. <laughs>
0: and they don't want to deal with the underlying issue of why millions of people believe such crazy shit like that well, it's, uh, it's an issue it's, that's yes, rooted in uh, the education system in the culture it's not just you know they don't believe it because there's social media
1: social media i just would also say they don't it. believe it because they're stupid and I would go one step further that they that they aren't also not all of them are racists. I mean, that's we, we have all these ways of brushing these people off. And that's well, even even if racism plays a role, you have to ask, why. where does that come from? Yeah, why, exactly. Why? Because, yeah.
0: Why is it? Why is the racism mm-hmm. seem to be growing?
1: That's exactly right. The uh, but we don't uh, uh, we don't want to ask those questions. We want to demonize. And uh, I mean, that's I think that's that was what what's the matter with Kansas was about was like let's dig into this let's drill down a little bit let's go out and talk to these people and let's see why they're doing things that look superficially so self-destructive and so damaging and in fact are self-destructive and are damaging uh, why would someone do this and and then you and you you talk to them and you get you start to get an idea about about why that aspect of the conversation is um well it's not present let's put it that way i was i've been reading like i say when we started out this conversation i've been reading a lot of stuff about about liberalism in the trump era and that question the what's the matter with kansas question is uh basically off limits these people are to be villainized uh, vilified and condemned and and you know, a lot of them certainly deserve that, and, and racism certainly is not is not tolerable. I agree with that, but we don't ask that question anymore. Uh, we just want to shut them up. And make I, I them think start part of the talking. problem
0: is the, the the liberal answer to these people is "quote unquote" defense of the role of government. The problem is there's a, there's so much truth. That government is so much an extension of big money, of corporations, of yeah. the 1% yeah. the, that, that, that you can't, that, you that, can't that, defend government without saying, yeah, you're right. To a large extent, government is the problem, but not the way Reagan said. Mm-hmm. Government's the problem because it's so much uh, an extension of corporate interest.
1: Yep, uh, which is, has become something very difficult for people to, uh, to understand or to say in America, that that government actually, you know, acts on behalf of Wall Street interests all the time. I mean, for God's sakes, Paul, remember when I first met you, the Wall Street bailouts. <laughs> you know? That's when we first started having our conversations was in the aftermath of the, you know, the biggest favor government has ever done for any interest. And it was for those guys. All now, right,
0: just quickly to end, what do you think of this impeachment of Trump business? <sighs>
1: Well, it's we know it's going to fail. Um, The Republicans have said that. But I look, I'm of two minds about this. I want to I want to move on. Of course, I want to see Biden get a, a, you know, get some, you know, get some really amazing stuff done. On the other hand, there has to be accountability for this asshole. There has to be accountability for what he did. And, you know, in all the different ways that he did it, you can't just let something like January 6th blow by. Now, I know we've already got those people all broke the law and we're going to be prosecuting them. By the way, there's all sorts of ways in which this is um, I'm you know, I both want accountability. I want them to uh, to go after Trump and I want to have it all out. But I don't think in some ways I think it's too little. And otherwise I think it's not enough. I want to know, uh, to go back to the what's the matter with Kansas question, I want to see sociological uh, survey of these people. Who the hell were they? What in the world were they thinking? Because they seem to have come from all over the place, all different walks of life. They're united by their, you know, bizarre faith that Trump somehow won the election. But other than that, they seem to be from all... Over. Anyhow, I wanna know more about them. I wanna see sociological surveys. I wanna see uh, congressional investigations and not just demonizing them, not just saying this was bad. We know it's bad. We know how bad it is. It's really bad. But I wanna know who these people were. This whole thing is... And I, I wanna know why the Capitol Police dropped the ball. Like what the hell's going on there?
0: Well, that's, that's what my editorial is about. Cause I think the January 6th is the third act of a failed coup. The real stuff happens in the lead-up to January 6th. And 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 there was uh, at least the American Manufacturers Association right through to 10 former secretaries of defense. They all thought a real coup was taking place. And the Financial Times editorial board actually called a, a coup on January 4th, said there's a coup taking place. So that's what my editorial is about, so yeah. people can look for it.
1: The funny thing is that it was so incompetent as you know, as these things go. He's delusional. It's like, it's like Trump's lawsuits. It's like they're a joke. They were, they were so stupid, you know. Well, so- it tells you
0: something about the political structures of America. That something so incompetent and a guy so delusional yeah,
1: yeah.
0: can get to the point— that the uh you know the hierarchy of american elites including the military were really concerned about what was happening yeah anyhow that all of that needs
1: to be this needs to be uh it needs to be out there and we need to there need to be hearings and we need to understand it uh and i mean like understand it for real not just like calling people names and and pointing out that trump is a dumb shit and that trump's a racist those those statements are true but it, we need to go further than that. And, and we need to go further than that as a country as well. But anyhow, I don't think it's going to happen. So I both want accountability. I want more accountability. But I also think it should be broader than just um, uh, Trump's impeachment. And by the way, uh, it's already clear that the Republicans aren't going to let it happen. So
0: Yeah, I think he should be charged with sedition and treason. But I don't think it's going to happen because when they, if the truth of how close the United States got to a coup ever comes out, it completely smashes the whole international reputation of the United States as the st-
1: stable guardian of
0: global capitalism. I know. Well, so I don't think
1: it's going to come that's out. That's already but, uh, in ruins. the the, the mantle has to be passed to Canada. Oh, huh? ca- oh, Canada. <laughs> But right, I've us, been reading. I've been reading a history of Canada. Also, I, I, I during COVID, I've like I've got this huge stack of books that I'm working through. What's his name? Francis Parkman, and it's a history of the French in the New World. So of you know the origins of Canada, the you know in, in Quebec and everything. Wow, fascinating! Uh, it's really really interesting stuff. I don't know if anybody reads well, this guy anymore, but <laughs> well, 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 people when they dig into it, they'll
0: find out. The self-righteous bullshit of Canada's uh, <laughs> humanitarianism and internationalism. It's all BS. Canada got to ride the U.S. global ga- gravy train. You know, we're like the 10th largest arms manufacturer in the world. Uh, I did not know that. Goes on. Yeah, it goes on from there. Uh, anyway, thanks for joining us, Thomas. It was a blast. We'll talk again soon. Yeah, thank you for joining us on the analysis.news. And please don't forget the donate button at the top of the website. HOO-